All right, and welcome to another episode of the THN on the O. As always, I am Tony Ferrari, and with me is my equally bald co-host, Brock Otten. How are you doing this week, Brock? <laughs> Good, Tony. How are you doing? Not too bad. Uh, a day late, but uh, we've got lots of stuff to cover, so let's get right into it. Uh, first thing I think we should talk about is a couple teams that were not doing all that great lately. And uh, we'll start with the Peets. They've lost uh, three in a row, six of the last ten. What do you think is going wrong with them? Because uh, it's been kind of a season of disaster for them. Yeah, I mean, the Brennan Othman deal sort of hasn't worked out incredibly well so far for them. Um, I don't know if it's kind of messed with some of the chemistry that they had going on with with their forward group. Because since bringing him into the fold, their offense has just really struggled. Um, so I, I think it's just a matter of maybe finding line mates for him, whether that's through a trade like <clears throat> Shane Wright, maybe when he comes back after the World Juniors or, or something else or continuing to sort of tinker with the players that they do have because that team on paper should not have trouble scoring goals, uh, especially at the rate that they have been struggling lately. So uh, can do or can they or do I think they will sort of right the ship? Yeah, I, I think they're too good not to, but it's definitely a little bit concerning the way that they're playing lately. Yeah, it's been interesting. I've watched a few games since Othman's been there and they're getting chances. It's And it's not necessarily that they're being snake bitten. It's just a lot of the chances are just missing the net or the, a lot of the chances are just kind of not connecting exactly the way you'd expect them to. And I think, like you said, the chemistry is a big thing. I think that's probably the biggest issue. Who knows? Maybe we see Othman play on Shane Wright's wing, uh, a little bit of a reuni re reuniting of, of a couple of old teammates. And, and maybe that uh, influences the Pete's to make a deal to bring in uh, Shane Wright as well, like you said. But another team that's struggling in a major way is, is the Mississauga Steelhead. Seven to last, ten lost. What do you think is the problem here? Because I, I don't know if that's a team that I, I necessarily have as high hopes for. Yeah, I think their problem has sort of been the opposite, right? They're struggling to keep pucks out right now. And their goaltending situation kind of coming into the year was something people had question marks about. And their import goalie was playing incredibly well to start the year, but maybe kind of coming back to reality a little bit. I think they're struggling a little bit in terms of their, their zone coverage. Um, I think just things are sort of unraveling for them right now. And I actually think that they are a good team. I do think that they can be one of the better teams in the East, but I think maybe adding another sort of veteran defenseman to that group would really sort of stabilize things. I think missing home, I think, has, has been a big one this year for them. I think he was a real anchor for them defensively last year with Del Mastro. And they sort of had that, like, very long, uh, powerful group of defenders that, that did a good job in their own end. I think that's sort of been the missing part of, of their component this year that's causing them to struggle. Yeah, I don't necessarily think it's that they're not a good team. I think they're a team that is very much in the middle of the pack, and they're kind of – they have to decide what are we going to be going forward. Are we going to try to – load up and go for it a little bit are we going to kind of not necessarily sell out but are we going to end up being a team that is fine finishing in that middle of the middle of the conference it's going to be interesting because mississauga like i said is a team that i know there are a lot of people that are higher on them than i am and it, it, they just don't do it for me all the time so like you said that defense isn't what it once was Oli barvik home it was a really good player for them and, and kind of having that right mix on the back end has been the issue there i think like we mentioned with Peterborough, the chemistry up front. I think with Mississauga, it's the chemistry on the back end. And like you said, the goaltending, goaltending can save you a lot, especially in junior hockey. And they're not necessarily getting it the last month or so. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I know they've had some injuries on the back end. Casper Larson, um, you know, is a big one. He was part of that group last year that was really strong. But at the end of the day, you know, seven of the last 10 in a really tough Eastern Conference this year, um, it's causing him to slide big time. And I don't know if they're going to be able to recover to, to find the top part of that conference again. Yeah, and now the, the next piece of news that we should talk about, I think, is the Minnesota Wild prospect Hunter Haight gets traded to the Saginaw Spirit, and he goes for three second-round picks, one in 24, 25, and 26, and two third-round picks in 25 and 26. Kind of a big deal for a guy that wasn't producing prior to the trade, but since the trade, he's been really good. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting deal, too, because you've got Saginaw, who's already moved out Josh Bloom for picks, now using sort of the surplus of picks to now go get Hunter Haight. Now, I, you have a team we've talked about previously, too, who's trying to go for the Memorial Cup bid next year. So he is going to be back next year, and he was kind of not really fitting in and not playing up to expectations in Barry. And since the move to Saginaw, he's been on fire. He's producing. He's playing well. And so far, it's really paying off. Uh, I think it was a smart move both now uh, and for the future. Yeah, Hunter Heights long been a favorite of mine in terms of watching a guy in pregame, some of the skill moves he does, some of the little deking around with the puck. He's a really fun player to watch pregame. My issue has always been in the game, and I think that's obviously where, where the differences are made. He's a guy that I think has all the skill. You see these flashes of brilliance, but he's never been able to kind of put it together the way I think a lot of people had hoped he could. Now he's starting to do it in Saginaw. Maybe it was just a wrong environment for him. Now he's in a good spot, and like we said, the Saginaw team is – a team on the rise, I think. A team, like we said, is probably both of our favorites to host the Memorial Cup when it comes back to the OHL. And, and kind of that building up a team with Misa and now Height and all these other guys on that team, it could be really interesting. It'll be fun to watch that team kind of grow and, and see what they can build together. Yeah, 100%. I, I think you're you're hit the nail on the head again, Tony, with, with his play. I've always found him to be a player that was trying to find an identity. I think he was trying to just do too much all the time. And depending on when you caught him, he was extremely physical and aggressive and taking himself out of position to sort of play that power forward role. And another time you would see him, it was, you know, trying to play that, a term that you like to use, sort of that hero puck, right? Trying to beat defenders one-on-one all the time, trying to be more of a high-end skill guy. That didn't work. So I think it was just trying to be comfortable in being himself and finding that niche, finding that role in the OHL um, and finding a coaching staff that could bring that out of him. And so far... Chris Lazary in Saginaw has done a really good job with that, I think. All right, and the busy news week continues as we look at uh, – we'll get to some Canadian World Junior stuff in a little bit, but we have to talk about two of the best players in the OHL and Ty Voigt and Sasha Pashajov being completely left off the U.S. camp roster. What was kind of your initial reaction to that, especially with Voigt, who was completely leading the league and just blowing, blowing it out of the water on the stat sheet? My initial reaction was, Why? But then the <laughs> secondary reaction was, okay, yeah, this usually happens with USA Hockey. They kind of have their favorites that they stick with. They tend to snub some of the players playing in the CHL. We see it every year. Um, do I think that they could use both of these players? Pashijov played on the team last year. He was a returning player. Um, is playing really well in Sarnia with Ty Voigt. They could have brought the two of them in together and had a duo that has fantastic chemistry, uh, a player returning. Um Voigt is the OHL leading scorer by a significant margin, and we're going to talk about him a little bit later. Uh, these two guys, I think, could have really helped that team. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, if the U.S. ends up having a really good tournament, we're not going to be talking about Ty Voigt and Sasha Job. 
But if they struggle to score, these are two guys that could have been difference makers, in my opinion. And uh, I just don't understand why they continue to do this. Uh, I know there's so much politics involved with the selections of, of these teams. We see it from the European teams now, too, leaving out players who leave Europe to go play in the USHL or the CHL or, you know, uh, in the NCAA um, or even in the AHL, right? We see it with players declining invitations now, which was never, never really a thing five to 10 years ago, but we've got some high, you know, high uh, quality players, high quality prospects who are declining invitations to play in this tournament. It's kind of, it's kind of taking the shine off the world juniors to a certain degree for me. Yeah, it was really interesting when I saw them leave these two off, especially Pash Job, who excelled in a death roll last year in, in the summer tournament. I don't think he was bad at all. He, if I'm not mistaken, he had five points in six games, a guy that was really productive for them in, in a bottom six role. So even if they weren't looking for these guys to be the scorers, I think they could have been that those secondary guys playing towards the bottom end of the lineup, especially a Pash Job, who, like you said, was on the team and would have been a returnee. It's, it's odd to see them not even bring back a returnee to camp. Because that's that's the other thing is this isn't even the final roster. This is the camp roster. These guys aren't – they had 32 players, if I'm not mistaken, named. You could have brought these guys and at least seen if they mesh with some of the guys that you really liked for the team. But they had other guys that they decided to bring, some questionable college kids who aren't producing all that much. But like you said, the politics play a big role in it. Team Canada has politics of its own that we'll get into in a little bit. But it was really interesting to see these two guys left off and – I think we're going to talk about them in a little bit when we go to the three stars and uh, how well they've responded. Yeah, and that's the bottom line. Uh, these are two guys that, like I said, have great chemistry right now. Why not bring them both to camp, try to find another winger for them, see how they play, and and go from there. But uh, I don't know what's what's going on there. It, it's a head-scratcher for sure. All right, now let's, let's, let's move on to the last little piece of news we have. Malik McGowan's fall, the follow from Malik McGowan's injury and everything and how everything went with there. So what was your take on, on what happened initially and how everything's kind of gone so far? Yeah. So it's kind of twofold, right? This is something that's was already sort of in the news with Evander Kane's injury and kind of pops up sort of every year lately with some of these bad skate lacerations and Kane's was what, like one or two weeks ago. And then this happens with Malik McGowan and, and Kingston. Um, yeah. Thankfully he, he's okay. And, and, avoided you know a really serious life-threatening injury uh because of how well the training staffs responded and how quickly they were able to get him to surgery to close that wound up but now we've got the ohl talking about the sleeves just like the nhl is and we've got the nhl actually involved in this um because it's going to be met with hesitation from nhl players right this is going to be something that's going to take getting used to wearing that sort of sleeve to protect the risks, uh, especially, right? Um, so the pushback will be less if you start with the grassroots, right? You start in junior hockey, you start with the OHL, the CHL, you can start with the NCAA, you can work on the feeder leagues to try to incorporate this so that as players move in, it's sort of grandfathered in that they're wearing these sleeves to to protect. And it makes sense, honestly, right? When, when these injuries are occurring more often because of the pace of the game, um, you know, there has to be a response. And when we're talking about kids playing in the OHL, Malik McGowan is a very young player in the league, recently drafted. Um, we need to protect them. And if it means the uncomfortableness of playing with an arm sleeve, players will adjust. It might take a couple weeks, a, a month, 
but they will adjust. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there when you, you mentioned how high how fast paced the game has gotten. It's going to be a little bit long. Like it's going to be like you said, two weeks, a month, maybe. It won't even be a full season where it takes them to adjust because uh, uh, these sleeves aren't this like big, bulky new piece of equipment necessarily. It's just an additional layer essentially, and that's what they're going to have to adjust to. It's probably not going to be that big of a deal at the end of the day. But like you said, starting at the ground level, starting at the grassroots, getting guys in the OHL, CHL, NCAA, USHL to wear these sleeves and kind of coming up with them, getting used to them as they go. It's going to be a good thing in the long run. I mean, look at it throughout history. Goalies weren't wearing masks at one point. Guys were just getting hit in the face with pucks. So you got to adjust and evolve as the, the sport gets faster, more high pace, more skilled. And like you said, like as things get faster, guys are getting hit harder. Guys are getting thrown on their butts. Skates are coming up a little bit. We've seen it a number of times. Guys get cut in the face or getting cut in the, the, the neck even. There's been a, a number of big injuries and in, in these big wrist injuries that have been much more serious than a lot of people initially took them as. They're probably going to need something like this going forward. And at the end of the day, I think it's good for the sport. Yeah. I mean, you have to be progressive when it comes to safety, right? Yeah. Now let's get to our three stars of the week. Let's blow through these bad boys real quick. The first one, I think it was an easy one as uh, Quentin Musty put up one one big week. He had two goals and seven assists in two games. It was shortened to a suspension, but man, this kid's been on fire lately. Yeah, I mean, we've I feel like we've been talking about him a lot lately, and since that coaching change, uh, Derek McKenzie has really lit a fire under Musty, and I mean, he absolutely obliterated the Niagara Ice Dogs, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, they're struggling too. They're not the best defensive team in the league, uh, that's for sure. But what he did this week was very impressive. Uh, I think it had to be him. Yeah, he's a guy that's going to be dro- floating up draft boards. We saw him get moved to an A recently. I won't be shocked to see him kind of squeaking into that top 20 eventually, maybe if he keeps up this play. Uh, the second stars of the week, I did mention stars because we have two of them. Uh, it's Sasha Pashadov and Ty Boyd, two guys who were snubbed for the U.S. team. Deserved it because they had a combined seven goals and 10 assists this week. Well, what did you like about their game? Just kind of what you've seen from them in, in response to being left off the team, essentially. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing is the passage of addition to the Sting was just absolutely perfect. That was the exact sort of like goal scoring forward that team needed offensively, in my opinion. And if we get time to get our mailbag in order this week, uh, which hopefully we do, we do have a starting Sting question that kind of addresses some of those things. And I think it's no surprise that he's fit right in playing alongside a guy like Boyd, who is probably the best playmaker, best passer, best vision in the OHL, um, at least in terms of creativity. And the fact that those two have played so well together is definitely not shocking. Yeah, it's a really fun pairing. I think Sasha Pashadov is a really elite junior scorer. Uh, Ty Void, as we'll get into when we get to the Leafs prospects, is one of the best playmakers, like you said, in the OHL or the CHL even, in junior hockey. So it's really fun to see that combination together. But let's get to our third star of the week, a guy that we've highlighted a few times on the podcast throughout the year, Don DiVincenzis, the goalie. Uh, two wins, a one goal against average, and a 967 save percentage. What did you see from him this week? Yeah, that included a big shutout of a rival in the Peterborough Peets. I think that this is a guy who... I don't think he was playing his best at the start of the year. I think North Bay has been playing fairly well as a team overall. Um, they've made some good additions, obviously picking up Josh Bloom recently. I think that the goaltending has only been a bit like sort of average. I think that we sort of expected that to be one of their strong points coming into the season. And I think the last couple of weeks, he's really turned the corner. 
um, Dimitrescu has has been really really good, and he had a really good week. And I think that he's somebody I was kind of a little bit shocked didn't get an invite to the World Junior Camp. Um, I think he probably deserved it based on sort of his pedigree. Um, but the goaltending situation is kind of a kind of a mess with that team right now. And we'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, but yeah, really good week for him, including that big shadow to the Pete. Yeah. He's had these moments where he'll have a really good week and then goes off and has a bad week. And it, it's been an up and down season for DiVincenzis this so far. Hopefully he can kind of get things back on track. And if, if North Bay starts getting that elite goaltending, like he provided the last week or two, he's going to be a really scary team to go up against uh, as we get towards the second half of the season. Yeah. They're definitely trending upwards. That's for sure. All right. Now, like I mentioned, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the subject of our prospects of the week and team of the week. Uh, let's start with Ty Voigt, the guy who's leading the OHL and uh, second in the CHL scoring. Uh, nine goals, 39 assists. Fun fact about Ty Voigt, if you were just to take his second is his primary assist, he would be second in the OHL in assists behind only Ty Voigt. So it, he's having one hell of a season. He's been an outstanding playmaker this year. A guy, like you said, has got some of the most elite vision as a, in, in all the prospects. This guy's been so fun to watch. I think Toronto got a steal when they kind of drafted him in that COVID season. What have you liked about Ty Boyd's game overall this year? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the word steal. I mean, I feel like everybody's sort of in our role, like sort of that amateur internet scout, whatever you want to call us, right, Tony? I feel like we all love Ty Boyd heading into that draft. I don't think there was anybody that didn't. And everybody was saying, oh, like, how did he fall that far? Like, why didn't anybody take him earlier? And now we're seeing why. Like, he showed this early on. He showed it last year. And now he's really exploded this year. He's he's just a very creative player. Yeah, he's not the biggest. I think that there's probably still going to be some room for him to sort of improve his explosiveness and quickness and, and overall top speed as a smaller player. For an OHL player, he's definitely an above average skater. Um, but I think when we when he moves into the NHL, that's going to be something he's going to have to continue to work on. I think what really stands out is sort of that edge work, that agility, that elusiveness. He's so slippery, and he's able to push pace because of that. Um, the one thing that I really look for in some of those smaller players is how they move sort of east-west, right? Because that's where they're going to have to live at the NHL level. And that's something that he really does well. Um, just seems to find those openings behind defenders consistently. And it's because of his hands too. The hockey sense, the hands, everything sort of pr the processing speed, everything's done at a high level and it's done at a quick pace, which I think is really impressive too. He's just somebody that I feel like when you're watching Sarnia play and Ty Boyd's on the ice, you kind of expect something great to happen when he has the puck on his stick. Uh, he's just a consistent generator of scoring chances for his line mates. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I can't see enough good things about him. Yeah, every time I watch Ty Boyd, going back to his rookie year in the OHL, he has that water bug element. Like you said, he's not necessarily the fastest player out there, but he's able to cut and dodge through traffic, kind of get slipping between defenders so well. And I think that's what makes him such an elite player. He's a guy that, like you said, the vision is unreal, the passing ability and the creativity. I don't know how many times this year I've seen him thread a, thread a puck between a defender's legs to a guy on the back door or, or find a guy in the slot after being seemingly dead to rights in the corner. It's so many little things that he does right well. And the one thing I'll say about his size is like you said, he's not the biggest guy, but he seems to do a really good job of establishing body position right in the kind of along the boards. He's not going to necessarily win every puck battle. I, I don't think you can expect him to do that, 
but he's a guy that will get in there and at least mix it up when he needs to get that puck back and then make something happen with it. Cause like you said, the, the creativity is unbelievable. He's it, a fun, fun player to watch. Um, you have a comparable for him maybe? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think the one guy that sort of came to mind sort of when he was going through the draft and, and now as I watch him is Tampa's Tyler Johnson when he was at sort of that peak Tyler Johnson level. Um, maybe not the Tyler Johnson that we see today who's kind of had some trouble aging, um, but the one that kind of broke in the league with the lighting playing at a really high level. And it's a similar sort of build, similar kind of player who operates in that east-west way, um, somebody who can push pace and sort of, uses creativity to do that as opposed to just pure speed and excels as a playmaker. Yeah. I think that's a perfect comparison for him. Uh, now moving on to Toronto's second prospect and the only other prospect in their, in their system in the OHL, Braden Kressler, a guy that I I've really liked for a few years now. He's got 12 goals, nine assists in 16 games. He's a fun, fun player to watch because of how much energy he plays with. How, what have you liked about him this year? Yeah, he's just absolutely tenacious. And I think that's what makes him such a fun and, player to watch, like you said, and and a very creative or a very effective player, right? An effective player in all situations. He's somebody that Flint throws on their top penalty killing unit. Um, he can play on the power play. He he can play a lot of different roles. He can bring the puck up the ice as sort of like that main facilitator, or he can attack as an F1 on the four check. He's kind of all over the place. Uh, the big thing is just staying healthy, right? Um, he's not the biggest guy in the way that he likes to play. Um, for lack of a better term, is bigger than his size, right? And he's had some durability issues. He missed a lot of last year with a torn UCL, missed a little bit of training camp and preseason this year. Now is out again for the last couple of weeks. So there's going to be concerns over his durability and, and ability to sustain uh, playing at the level that he can play at sort of the way that he needs to play, if that makes sense, right? I, I think that he needs to play a certain way to be effective, and if that way is what's causing these injuries, I mean, that's going to be a concern moving forward. Um, what do you think, Tony? Yeah, I think you're right with the injury issues. I think anytime health is a, an issue at this level, the big thing for him over the next couple of years, he is 19. So he's going to need to pack on some muscle. He's going to need to work his way up into the NHL lineup. This isn't a guy that's necessarily going to jump right into the league. He's going to play in the AHL. I think he's going to be a long-term project. But like you said, he has that ability, at least in the OHL, to play up and down the lineup be kind of a fixer on a line. When, when a line's not going, you throw Braden Kressler with him, and he gets them going because he plays with so much energy. Like you said, he get, he gets in on that four check. He'll get it along the, the boards. He's not afraid to play bigger than he is. And it's not necessarily that he's throwing hits. It's that he's constantly pestering and, and annoying the other team with his stick work and his skill. And he's a guy that knows where to go, and he has a nose for the net. I think 12 goals in 16 games says shows that in and of itself. There's so many things he does right. A lot of the, the big issue with him is facilitating. I think he doesn't use his teammates as effectively. Sometimes he can get tunnel vision. But when he's the third guy on a line, I think I look at him in a role like what Toronto has right now. And, I mean, Michael Bunting is a little bit bigger. But he can kind of play that similar role where he can kind of just go for it. Just let the two skill guys do their thing and, and be that third guy that does a little bit of everything can kind of crash and bang around the net, despite not being the biggest guy can kind of get in that corner and, and, and hunt down pucks and be a pest. There's a lot to like about Kressler's game. The health is going to be an issue though. I think, like you said, at five, nine, you're always kind of worried about a guy that size being able to kind of stick in the, in the pros as things get more physical. So I think the AHL is going to be a big test for him as he, once he gets there. And at the end of the day, this is a guy that he wasn't drafted. He was kind of just signed by the Leafs. 
after a, a really good uh, uh, rookie camp and prospect camp when he was just an invite there. I think this is a really fun player to watch kind of going through the system. Is he going to be a star? No, but he's going to, he could be a really effective player in the, in the bottom six possibly. Yeah. And sort of for the reasons that you just mentioned, I would actually really like to see the Leafs send him back to the OHL for an away year next year. It's not something that happens all the time uh, from players who are already signed, but given that he just hasn't played very much, the COVID year, the significant injury last year, the injuries that have already occurred this year that have limited his games, uh, it would be great for him to try to play that full season before he moves on to the AHL because, again, he needs to play that sort of pest role to be successful. And injuries might be a concern at the AHL or even the ECHL level, um, you know, if he's not able to continue to bulk up and just sort of get that full year in. Yeah, I agree with you there. Now, let's move on to Team Canada's World Junior Team. And there's a lot of talk around the team. I think the first thing that we should talk about is a couple of the – well, former OHLers that were loaned back to the team by their NHL clubs. Shane Wright and, Br- and Brant Clark are both going back, as well as uh, Dylan Genther, but he's in the WHL, so we'll leave it to the Dub podcast for it to take care of him. What did you think about Shane Wright first coming back and scoring against Montreal, uh, getting a little revenge on them? And, and then both him and him and Clark both being lent to the team. Ah, so on Wright, funny story. I was, I'm so angry with myself. I was looking at that betting line of Shane Wright scoring a goal against the Habs. And I was so close to just, you know, throwing just something small, like, you know, like a little two, three, five dollar bet on that. Cause I was, it just seemed like the storyline just set perfectly up for him to score his first goal against the Canadians that night. And uh, I was too much of a chicken, didn't do it. <laughs> and of course he did score, which was great to see, obviously, you know, him going down to the AHL and playing while they're now getting called back up. And I think he's going to have a good world juniors. And, I think you and I have already discussed this. It's no shock that he is going to play uh, for Team Canada. I think it's going to be really good for him, his development. Um, You know, what happens after the World Juniors, who knows at this point. But uh, for now, I think he's going to have a good tournament. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see him go there. I think he's going to be in a leadership role. Could even be the captain of the team. He's been the captain at at international events before. So, it's going to be fun to see. And, and now Brant Clark's a guy that was snubbed for the team last year, even in the summer, uh, a guy that a lot of people thought he should have been on the team last winter. A lot of people thought he should have been on the team in the summer. What do you think about his addition to the team now? Yeah, I think it, it's great. Uh, I, there was a little bit of concern. I know he's not previously anyway, was not one of hockey Canada's guys, right? Like he had been sort of snubbed for a lot of positions previously and I'm really happy and I'm really excited to see him at this tournament as somebody who actually likes Brandt Clark as a, as a prospect. And I think the big thing is what kind of role is he going to play? What I'm really curious to see is who ends up on that first power play unit. Is it going to be Zellweger or is it going to be Brandt Clark? Uh, or do they put them together and sort of go with that more classic 3-2 that teams are kind of starting to get away from, right? Uh, I think they're going to have a lot of options to play around with now that he's been added into the fold and it kind of yeah. pushes a uh, pushes a guy like kevin Korczynski potentially down into that sort of third pairing probably which is just going to make the team stronger and deeper because you're going to have puck movers sort of on every pairing yeah that's what i was just going to say is you also have a guy like Korczynski who could get in there maybe they end up going the the four forwards one one uh defender on the top power play and then possibly clark and Korczynski on the second power play working things from the blue line there 
it's going to be really interesting. But thankfully for Clark and, and, and Zellweger, whoever does get the top power play, I don't think there's going to be too many complaints about the lack of quality on the second power play unit. I think it's going to be really fun to see there. Uh, let's get to some of the OHLers that were added to the team, uh, or at least added to the camp roster. And let's do some odds and kind of pick whether or not we think this guy's going to make the team. Just go with some percentages. Uh, I'll start with Brennan Othman. I'm going to give him 100%. Um, I, I, I don't see a, a world where he doesn't make this team. I agree, 100%. All right, let's go to Ethan Del Mastro, a defenseman that, uh, again, returning player, should be on this team. Didn't play a huge role last time, but he could play a bigger role this time. Yeah, I'm going to go with 100% there. I think as a returning defender, a defender with size who can sort of play a more safe role to one of these buck movers, uh, I can't see him being left off the team as a returning player. Yeah, he's 100% for me as well. I, there's no reason I don't think he, he'd be off the team, uh, especially being a returning player. I mean, we've seen returning players not get invited back. So uh, at least at camp, I think he'll be there. Uh, let's go with Owen Beck, a guy that's getting his first crack at the team. I'm going with 50%. I think he's got an uphill battle. I think the center depth on this team, uh, especially among returning players, is going to be a challenge for him. I think the key for Beck, even though he's a fantastic faceoff man, right? Like he is a very traditional center. I think the key for him is going to be able to show that he can play the wing uh, and be sort of a versatile Swiss Army knife guy for Team Canada. If he's able to show that, I think he gives him a, a really good chance if he struggles sort of with that transition because I think unquestionably I see them sort of challenging him to play out of the center position. Uh, I think he'll find himself sort of on the outside looking in. Yeah. I think for me, I'm putting it at 40% for Owen Beck. I think the key for him is, is Adam Fantilli going to be a center or a winger at this tournament? I think it's going to be really interesting to see where they put him. If they end up having uh right Bedard Fantilli as the three centers down the middle, it just takes up another center spot. And like you said, it's going to be an adjustment for Beck to play the wing because he is a traditional center. So that's why I'm putting him down at 40%. But uh, Jack Mathieu, a defenseman from the 67s, what are you thinking about his chances? I'm going pretty high. I'm going 90% on this. Uh, another guy like similar to Del Mastro, he can play sort of that shutdown role. Uh, big guy, kind of fills that niche on that defense that doesn't really have it. Uh, has the connection with James Boyd being the general manager of the team. Is a right shot. I think there's just a lot sort of like gearing towards him being on this team. Yeah, I think the one thing you mentioned there was that he is a right shot. He's emerged as being a capable puck mover this year. His defensive game is still the, the calling card for him. So I was going to put him at 75, but I think 90 is probably a little bit closer to what it is. So you've convinced me to at least bump it up to 80. Uh, now let's like go it. with the, the, the goalie, Ben Goudreau. Uh, I'm going to get it out of the way now, and uh, I'm going to say 100%. And I think he even has a chance at being the starter for this team. So what are, what are you thinking on this one? Coming into the season, I would have said 100%. I think he would have been the starter. He has not played well uh, this year, and especially recently. He has really struggled for Sarnia recently, and they've actually sort of gone in other directions on some nights because he struggled so badly. I think he's just – his game is not in a great place right now, um, and I'm really hoping that this camp can kind of help him find that confidence again. And I hope you're right that he kind of comes in and – and steals that starter's position because I think of the four goaltenders at camp, I think he is the best goaltender. I think he gives us the best chance of winning a gold medal when he's on his game. The problem is, again, going into this camp, he's just not in his game. So I'm going to put him at 75% only because I believe they've already said that Canada is only going to take two goalies because the tournament is in Moncton. Um, 
So, you know, that in terms of two out of four making it, 50%, him not playing extremely well right now. Uh, I don't think he's a complete lock. Um, I, I wish I could agree with you there. Uh, just based on his recent play, uh, I think he's kind of in that 70 to 80% range. Yeah, with him, I, I think I look back at that U18 tournament where he came in cold, hadn't played much, and then was arguably one of the better goaltenders of that tournament. So that's why I'm so high on Ben Goudreau. I, I always love the kid. I know he's had a bad year or up and down year this year. So it, it's going to be interesting to see him. But let's get to some snubs and uh, let's start with an OHL snub. Who was this, the guy you thought should have been on his camp roster that wasn't? I think probably Luca Delbal-Belouz was sort of the biggest sort of surprise for me. I think he's had a pretty good year. I think he had a really good uh, summer camp too. Uh, but I guess sort of the center depth on this team was sort of his undoing. There's too many players who play similar to him that do it at a quicker pace. And uh, ultimately, that's why they didn't cho choose him. But I was still kind of shocked he didn't get an invite. Uh, especially, he's playing well. And like I said, uh, did play well at that summer camp. Yeah, Del Bell Blues is a guy that I definitely thought I'd see there as well. But the one guy that I'm going to say is my snub is David Goyette. I think he brings a different element. He's shown that he can shift off to the wing and be a guy that is a playmaker on the wing. And I think Canada's going to need those pure playmakers this year. I think they've got so many guys that can score goals. Who's going to be the one passing the puck? I thought Goyette would have been a good option, at least, especially down in the bottom six for that. But the Canada's opted to go a different way and uh, – who am I to say that they're wrong? They, they won gold last year after a lot of us criticized that roster too. Yeah, that's very true. And a guy like Goyette, I'd be shocked if he's not on that camp next year uh, for next year's team. All right. Now let's go with the biggest snub outside of the OHL. Who do you have for that? I, I think it was probably Corson Kuhlman's. Uh, I, you know, just based on the lack of, of right shot or defenders that can play the right side, uh, you know, has some connections with Hockey Canada previously. They brought two other uh, NCAA players in Fantilli and Ryan Green into camp. So I was kind of thinking, okay, yeah, you brought Green, you brought Fantilli, why not Coleman's? But uh, I think he didn't play extremely well in that summer camp. And I think he's been only average sort of at the NCAA level this year. So maybe just the name, brand, value, whatever you want to call it, just wasn't enough. But I was still kind of shocked not to see his name, not going to lie. And I'm going to go out west for my snub for uh, outside of the OHL. I could have gone with Matthew Savoy. I could have gone with Denton Matejchuk, both two guys who probably deserved at least to be at the camp. But I'm going with Jagger Furkus, a guy that has always been electric to me. I think he's a really big difference maker offensively. I think at the end of the day, Canada went, do we need another guy who can play that style of game? They've got so many of these guys. I mean, it's similar case to, to Andrew Cristal, a draft eligible that could have probably at least been at camp but wasn't. They've got so many of these offensive firepower guys. I think they wanted to get some role players like they normally do. Canada and the U.S. are both known to do that. So I think that's what cut those guys out of the lineup. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe it came down to Jordan Dumais and Ferkus, right? Like, do we want to really want to bring in two sort of undersized guys who play a similar kind of game? Yeah, exactly. And it's just going to be a fun camp. I think we're going to have uh, at least a couple more conversations as we get to the World Juniors about – who ultimately makes the team, who's looked to it in camp and everything. So it's going to be fun to watch. And Team Canada, as always, is going to be a favorite at this year's tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. Let's, let's get this tournament going. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. But unfortunately, we're all out of time. We're not going to get to that uh, mailbag question. Maybe we start the, uh, the podcast next week with the mailbag question. Make sure we get it out of the way because it is a good one pertaining to the Sarnia Sting. 
Uh, with that said, though, Brock, have a good weekend. Have a good time enjoying the uh, all of the wonderful OHL action that we're going to see. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, you too, Tony.